Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman's Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli security experts and practitioners. I'm Amir Oren of TV7 News. A while ago, uh, we had a conversation with uh, retired Lieutenant General Danny Khalutz, a former chief of the Israeli Air Force and of the Israeli Defense Forces. And uh, we would like to have another chance at probing uh, General Khalutz's mind on the various problems, challenges, and hopes uh, surrounding Israel. General Khalutz, thank you again for coming. Thank you, Amir. One of uh, the um, uh, excellent features of the Israeli Air Force is that um, it has been found to uh, analyze quite in advance, to diagnose who is going to succeed uh, as an air cadet and then as a fighter pilot and on uh, and become a senior officer, perhaps even Air Force chief. How do you do it? First of all, uh, we have the privilege of getting from our nation the cream de la cream of the young people of Israel. Of course, they need to want it. But once they want it, we are getting all the variety of people from the high-level qualities, and we are screening them. The ratio of screening and those who are entering to the flying school is 1 to 10. not to the flying school, to the final screening phase of the Air Force. And uh, so that's first. And, you know, having said so, I, I gave the answer, where is the quality of those youngsters is coming from? Uh, now, in the Air Force itself, uh, during the years, we developed a very unique system based on uh, various exams that those cadets, those youngsters are passing. And we're trying to assess things which are changed along the years. If in the past we looked, for example, for good hands pilots, today we are a good head as well. But today the head is more important than ever because most of those uh, advanced airplanes are flown by computers. So people who would have, uh, during your time, uh, been washed out as pilots, but were given assignments as navigators or system operators because they were considered perhaps more thoughtful, more hesitant, now would have been commissioned as pilots. Uh, I don't want to be so accurate about it, but I would say that the balance is shifted. Uh, Because in the past, the best solution was if he was a good thinker and a good crafter. Both. You need the good hands because the machine was flown by the hands and reacted to your decisions. Uh, nowadays, so people who, who like yourself, 
uh, came from an agricultural settlement, which is called yeah. Moshav. Another sort is called, of course, Kibbutz. Um, even though most of them did not even have uh, a high school diploma, they, they uh, knew their way around tractors and other agricultural machinery. They had the edge. Yeah, yeah they developed some qualities that the, those who, who were coming from urban areas didn't have the chance to develop. Uh, anyhow, I don't, I don't want to emphasize too much about that, but I would say that once they're entering to the flying school, we change the system and we want now to find out from the early stages who are the ones to graduate as fighter pilots, as helicopter pilots. Why? Because we want to save the expenses because the cost of building a fighter pilot, helicopter pilot, or transport pilot, or navigator is very high. It also uh, includes academic education now. Includes academic uh, education that was in, in my term, I, I decided about changing the Air Force Flying School from Air Force Flying School to Air Force Academic School. Uh, but it means that the pilot starts uh, his term in an operational squadron when he is older, perhaps more mature, but there are uh, there is less time for him in service to um, give the Air Force uh, a no, return, no, 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 a return no. on investment. No, because we we increase the quantity of years that he has to serve in order to be from five to nine. From five to nine, yeah. And uh, so he's coming as the age of. 21 to the squadrons uh, after having the first degree, the bachelor degree, he's more mature. It's 5% difference. 5% difference is a lot of difference uh, when it comes to youngsters. Uh, and uh, you feel more safe to give him his hands high price. And $80 million effort. High price flying machines, yeah. How about how about Israeli society, which have changed has changed, and uh, during your time as a lieutenant colonel and colonel, a squadron leader and um, uh, a commander of uh, an airbase, a wing, uh, you commanders had to leave on base. Uh, usually, your spouses obeyed uh, unthinkingly because this was uh, the way. Uh, first of all, because you had to be ready. Uh, to be launched at any time, or you yourself or your pilot. And secondly, because you couldn't climb up the ladder of the Air Force if you were not a wing commander, and you could not be a wing commander if your wife refused to go there. Yeah. This is no longer so. Yeah, uh, you know, we are in the 21st century, and uh, you can't compare it to the... To the Eight, late 80s, uh, late 70s, late 60s, etc. of the previous century. So things are changing. Uh, the ladies has more and more weight in the family, uh, more and more uh, individual uh, needs, more and more professional development which is separated, completely separated from their husbands, the pilots or navigators. You know, in the Marine Corps, in the US Marine Corps, they say we recruit singles, but we retain families. 
Yeah, okay. That, is that the same in the Israeli Air Force too? Yeah, but, you know, in the Marines, for example, since they are deployed all over the world, they have no other choice rather than moving with the husband to the new base in Japan, in, in, in Europe, or whatever, wherever. In Israel, the distances are so, so short that you can live in Tel Aviv and fly in the base and, uh, and that's all. You don't need your family around you. But we still have a need to have pilots living on base because we are still keeping our level of alert similar to the old days. Why? Because surprises might happen even if they're not expected right now. Uh, so we are keeping them. If not for air to air to defend our skies, it's for air to ground. If you have a terror action that are going to be uh, started immediately, you need an immediate reaction. Immediate reaction is mainly by air power. Let me take you back to 1966 when you enlisted and uh, joined the yeah. Air Force. Uh, this was the first year after almost a decade where the Air Force found itself uh, engaged in dogfights. And therefore, its prestige among people like yourself, youth, um, regarding where they are going to serve, its prestige already soared uh, almost all of a sudden, 1965-66. But earlier, the paratroopers were more prestigious. And one of your predecessors as a Weizmann had to go uh, from one settlement uh, to another and plead with people who uh, could serve uh, in either unit to forego the infantry paratroopers and become pilots. It seemed uh, as if uh, you were only going uh, to be um, perhaps glorified bus drivers. It was not the case. But Perhaps now, with Israel not needing the Air Force day to day, at least that's the way it seems, of course, uh, we know that there are covert missions being deployed, but they are not being advertised. Is it more difficult now to attract youth to serve in the Air Force? Well, I'm not in the details right now, but uh, according to my knowledge, we have uh, regular meetings with the Air Force commander to be updated. And uh, I would say that uh, it's not a problem. Uh, the prestige of the Air Force is still, still exists. Uh, you know, we are mentioning always in, in our history, the 67 war, 1967. It's still our reference to a successful war or unsuccessful war. The same regarding the Air Force. It's still the reference. Uh, the Air Force reference 67 was set as a high level uh, Air Force standards, yeah. But and there is something unfair uh, regarding the Air Force now. In your time, whoever could graduate and become a fighter pilot knew that he will graduate. And today, because of what you said about the resources and looking ahead, how many pilots you would need for any type of plane, even people who have the capability to graduate are sometimes cut short because you start thinking about the quantity. You know, in the end of the day, 
the Air Force cannot act like in a free world with no rules and no uh, budget and everything is open for him. No. And the Air Force is uh, uh, adjusting itself to the situation. If we don't need a uh, thousand pilots, we don't have to graduate a thousand pilots. It's very simple. Uh, because if you're graduating more than you need, you're investing less than you need in each pilot which is graduated already. Flight hours per month. Yeah, of course, because you are limited by budget. In the end of the day, the budget is the main engine of operating all those, all those machines. Uh, it's not only people. It's people, budget, and machines. This combination. The, the Israeli Air Force is very unique in its uh, mix of people who are on active duty, who are on active reserve, coming to train uh, once a week. Yeah. Uh, the way you uh, were when you were uh, a reserve pilot before you came back uh, into the service. And there are, of course, people who serve at headquarters, but also um, are part of the roster in, in the uh, squadron. That, that comes from the reason that, <clears throat> unlike m most of the Air Forces worldwide, uh, we don't have enough resources, we didn't have enough resources in the past to uh, have pilots in the squadron at the standard needed and pilots in the headquarters at the standard needed. So we decided that the pilots in the headquarters will serve as active pilots in uh, wartime or in cr any crisis, and they will have to train themselves on a weekly basis you know, to keep current. And the reason come, and, and this solution came from shortage. Nowadays, it became a norm in Israeli Air Force that people who are serving in the headquarter must fly once a week because we found that this system is very effective system and very cost-effective system. You don't have on a daily basis to fly 30 pilots if you can fly only 10 to keep the immediate needs, and the rest 20 are serving in different locations, different places, different jobs, and comes only when crisis starts. The Israeli It's a good solution. I found it a very unique, but very, very advantageous. Also, uh, some um, Israeli reserve pilots are uh, engineers in the defense industry. They may work on a project which they later wear their uniform and try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not mentioning all the, the advantages that we have from that. Of course, many Air Force pilots are serving in the defense industries in Israel. They are the best ones to come to define the solution, to test it, to give feedbacks to the industry. So one of the things that we are very proud of is our uh, defense industry that gives solutions, first of all, the right solutions to us. Second, in short time, shorter than in any equivalent defense industry that I'm aware of. Uh, and, and so unique that they can solve problems more than that. They can react in real time and uh, correct systems with a short notice 
because they got the experience and they have the influence in the development teams in the industry. John Khalutz, uh, some uh, 33 years ago, uh, and uh, you are talking uh, now, we have been talking about defense procurement. You were um, head of the Air Force team on the LAVI project. I was the head of the operational Air Force team on the LAVI project, not the, there was an engineering staff uh, in parallel to me. And uh, you changed your mind, perhaps more than once, regarding the um, utility of building an Israeli uh, fighter. Of course, it has to do with the economy of scale. It has to do with the competition, with the very uh, corporations which sell us F-16s and F-15s. What is your view regarding Israel's need and capability of building major weapon systems? Well, in general, I think that uh, things that were right uh, 40 years ago maybe are not right now. Right now, solutions which were right then are not the right solutions now. Uh, we have to understand that the, the whole idea of building our main platform in Israel, naval platform, uh, land forces platform, tanks, and air force, uh, came from the embargo uh, experience that we had with the French those days. And in this case, uh, we should have taken this decision to build our platform to be independent. Late 1960s. Yeah. The decision was taken. Now, coming to the Levy, the Levy airplane by itself was excellent airplane. No doubt about it. It was a suit that was tailored especially for the Israeli Air Force. Uh, air to ground, mostly. Air to ground and air to air. It was a multi-role airplane, uh, very, very agile, very, very advanced in his days. We are speaking... F-16 plus. Yeah, F-16 plus. Uh, in some cases, they, they had some features. It had some features that uh, exist now the most advanced airplanes that we are buying. Uh, I thought when we came to the decision to stop it that it's right, but I regret it afterward. Uh, I thought it was right from the reasons that was mentioned as main reasons. Economy-wise, we didn't show any future market for this airplane beside the Israeli Air Force because of the limits that were imposed on us by others. The calculations were based on selling, exporting 250 planes. Yeah, Who which is, which is uh, nothing if you want to be profitable or to have the return on this, on the investment, development investment. American investment. Yeah, uh, American investment. Uh, so I thought that uh, it would be too costly on our economy. But later on, I thought that we made a big mistake because the saving of the Levy were not used in the most effective way. 
On other branches? On other branches. And uh, in the end, we found uh, ourselves without the levy. Of course, we received airplanes, but we received American good, American good airplanes. I have nothing to say wrong about or bad about those uh, machines. They're great machines. I flew most of them. F-16I, F-15E? All of them. F-15E, F-16A, B, C, D, and I. The I. All of them. But it's not in order to uh, underestimate the quality of the uh, equivalence, but in to overestimate the quality of the levy. I think that uh, we lost some independence in decision-making. And uh, we know from the capitalist market, capitalism, solutions that if there is no competition the solution will be always more expensive you know you sound as if um, you miss flying as a, a senior Air Force officer uh, again Israel is unique in having uh, colonels and brigadier generals and a major general commanding the Air Force flying uh, with the uh, young uh, lieutenants. Uh, in other air forces, after you're uh, a major or lieutenant colonel, you uh, fly a desk at uh, headquarters. It probably gives you uh, a more realistic sense of uh, where you're going to send your pilots on, on very dangerous missions. I found it as a very good, very good uh, in, in uh, improving your commanding qualities and the operational decisions. By the way, there are more air forces nowadays The generals continue to fly, first of all. In the Turkish Air Force, for example, they are flying. Base commanders, which are generals, are flying. This is why Erdogan arrested them uh, yeah. <laughs> during coups. He yeah. uh, was afraid uh, that they would... I found it very, very important to myself as commander to feel the atmosphere, to touch the, the production ground, uh, not to stay in 40,000 and to take decisions without having uh, breakfast with uh, the young pilots and hearing what they're saying on what they're complaining. One more thing, it's very unique to the Israel Air Force, that rank doesn't count when you are flying. A young lieutenant can lead you as a general and you have to do exactly what is this ordering is, you. This is in theory, but in practice, it, when you're flying in a foursome, in a formation, and you're number four, you follow your leader? Absolutely, 100%. No way that I will do something wrong. And the debriefing, too, is, the is debriefing a very important is tool. done by the young lieutenant. The briefing and that debriefing that he can give remarks to the Air Force commander that he did something wrong when he maneuvered this way and not the other way. No hard feelings? No hard feelings. And we see it as a very natural fact of life. And I'm very proud in this kind of training and philosophy of how we are growing our uh, pilots in the Israeli, how we grew our pilots and still growing our pilots in the Israeli Air Force. Uh, I continue to fly, by the way, as the chief of staff as well. When I was the chief of the general staff, I went, I tried to went to fly once a week. 
short ride just to keep in touch. I, I, I was you, also, you also are known for, for uh, insisting on driving your own car, having no uh, chauffeur. So yeah. you wanted to fly it yourself. <laughs> I want to hold the stick. Uh, but uh, coming back to reality, uh, I wish that this kind of uh, approach would have been implemented in other uh, uh, services. Unfortunately, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible knowing that, by the way, in the Navy, it's an, it's an option. You can, because they have vessels, you can operate the vessels in the same approach. It's a technical branch, much yeah, like the other. more technical branch. In the land forces, it's, it's, it's uh, almost impossible. More than that, most of the forces are uh, reserve forces. Unlike the Air Force, even the reserve pilots in the Air Force are counted as semi-regular pilots. As long as you mention the Navy, what's your view on what is called the submarine affair? Uh, is there such a huge hole in the Israeli system where um, corruption can creep in and impact um, the uh, decision-making regarding uh, a major weapon system? I was happy to tell you that there is no such holes. Unfortunately, the facts tells me something different. And uh, I'm very sorry that uh, that, but you know, being an Air Force uh, general, I still remember the day that they told us that our chief logistic general, Rami Dotan, Rami Dotan was bribed. I didn't believe. Even when they show me the, the headline of the newspaper, I said, no way. But there was a way, and he did it. So since then, I lost some confidence by, of saying, no way it will happen. You're less naive now. Yeah, a lot less naive. And I think that things might happen. And uh, when people are crossing the bridge I don't know which kind of bridge, but I would say of being ashamed of what they are doing once it will be on the board, they can do anything. We have less than a minute, two short questions. One, uh, regarding the uh, interface between the military and the government. You were uh, in charge of the Israeli Defense Forces during the withdrawal from Gaza and during the Second Lebanon War. Is Israel prepared for such eventualities in the interface between the civilian echelon and the military one? First of all, uh, the services are built to serve the decision of the political level, first. Second, I would say that being in the friction level, top of one and bottom of the other, uh, it's very difficult to compromise, but uh, there is no other way. General Dani Khalouds, former chief of the Israeli Air Force and the Israeli Defense Force, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.